welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. I am half of the team at Lighthouse Educator Development, and this is our podcast that is uh, the continuation of a conversation we've been having as educators over the last six years. And what we hope to do with this show and what we hope you'll get out of it is that you'll hear real stories from real teachers about what's really going on in the classroom. And we hope with those stories that you're inspired, you hear things that you can take and you can use, but more than anything, you realize that you're not alone in this profession and that above everything else, this is the most important profession on the planet. We do more for this country and this world than any other profession combined. And we hope you take that knowledge and the knowledge that our guests give you through this podcast and you improve your teaching craft and the craft of those around you. So stick around. What's to come is another episode of the LED Project Podcast. If you want to connect with us, you can do that by finding us on Instagram. We are at value adds value as well as at its.will.law.iii. You can also find us on Facebook as Lighthouse Educator Development. And we are also on YouTube as Lighthouse Educator Development. And before the podcast starts, we'd love it if you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. So we hope you enjoy this episode of the LED Project Podcast. Welcome back to the first episode in 2019 of the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. This is episode 138, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Amanda Tooley. Amanda, thanks for taking some time with us. No problem. Hello. Yeah, it's actually just slightly before Christmas, but we're uh, we're we're doing the episodes to get it started. So you, were, I'm 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 happy that you're the first episode that's going to go out in 2019. It's going to be amazing. So, and we just have been talking for the last four or five, six, seven minutes, and just just what you've been telling me about the situation in LA, and I'll be interested in a week or two, like when this goes out, like how different the situation will be then. But. Uh, yeah. We're excited to have you on, have you on and let people hear a little bit, bit about what's going on out there. Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So to, to get to know or to let our audience get to know you a little better, could you just give us a little bit of your background and, and kind of the circumstances that led you to become a teacher and, and where you're teaching now? Yeah. Um, so I actually started off, um, one, I knew I always wanted to work with kids. I grew up kind of in that environment with my family. Um, they, we, we worked at the church and we worked mainly with kids. So I loved doing that, loved working with them. So I knew I wanted to be in that. Um, I went to college and actually got my degree in teaching English as a second language, uh, thinking I would possibly travel and, um, teach English and to um, kids or within schools, that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, oh, I went overseas for my, what it was called the practicum at my school. I went overseas and taught uh, English and um, also taught, I actually just ended up teaching uh, a group of students over in a country called Burundi in Africa, on the continent of Africa. And we were there for a month and in that time period I realized like wow I really enjoy like just teaching like being with kids mm -hmm. so when I got back I finished off my program and then tagged on getting my credential which was um, really exciting and then I started 
student teaching a little bit after that. And I was all, I was up north at the time in um, NorCal, so I'm in California. So I was up north in uh, Northern California uh, doing my student, um, doing, uh, starting my student teaching. And then I ended up moving to Southern California uh, to finish off my student teaching because I met my husband. <laughs> so <laughs> I moved down, joined him, uh, finished off student teaching and started teaching. This was really lucky. I ended up teaching at the school I was student teaching in. So that ended up being perfect. And um, I taught at that school for three years. And then uh, two years ago, my husband and I moved here to Los Angeles. Uh, my husband's a filmmaker. So that was a big jump because he's pursuing um, directing right now. And then I really actually wanted to work in LAUSC. I wanted to be in the city, so to speak, and work with um, the kids out here and really be in the heart of like just this ginormous area of education. So uh, moved down here and I'm teaching over at Angeles Mesa Elementary currently in West LA. And yeah, this is my second year there. So altogether I've taught five years and then I did half a year of reading intervention before all that because there was kind of like a weird period when I finished student teaching to when the new school year started. So they were like, here, here's a job, take that so we can keep you. So it worked right. out. <laughs> so is Burundi on the, on the, on what would be the Western coast of Africa? Uh, it's actually kind of more on the Eastern coast. It's right. If you know where Rwanda is, Mm -hmm. It's actually right underneath Rwanda. It's a oh. very, it's a very tiny country that yeah. borders Rwanda and the uh, Congo, and um, uh, and it was, it actually was a part of the genocide that happened in Rwanda. Um, you just don't hear about their side of it as much. So it was really impactful to be there and talk. Um, I actually got to know a few of the teachers really well that were there and we, um, they were just telling like how their family was a part of like what happened and how they fled to Burundi. So it was a lot of um, impactful stories and um, the kids were, uh, were the, I believe like it was the first generation kind of after the genocide that I was teaching. So wow. it was very um, interesting just to kind of see all that happen right there and just and it was just like in a month too I wish it could have been longer but it was we were there to like help teach English and give some teaching strategies and then leave so wish it could have been longer though <laughs> oh my goodness that must have been an incredible and I've, I've said this a few times on the podcast if I could have gone back to my college experience I for sure would have either student taught abroad or I would have at least spent mm -hmm. a semester abroad to to get that experience but yeah that must have been incredible so um, to kind of just jump into it, because I'm so intrigued because we were talking about it prior. Could you explain a little bit? I mean, it, today is, let me check my phone and make sure I got the, it's, it's the 20th of December. So this is going to, it's yes. going to be a couple weeks before it goes out. But explain today on the 20th of December, um, what's been going on in LAUSD and, and what you think um, some of the issues you discussed with me were prior as to mm -hmm. what, what the teachers in LAUSD really need. Yeah, um, so what's been happening in LAUSD, uh, we are the second largest district and we uh, serve over 700,000 students and um, there's 30,000 teachers roughly um, that are employed by LAUSD. Uh, as of right now, so our union has been negotiating with LAUSD for 20 months and there hasn't been any budging at all within what we've been asking. And the big points we've been asking is actually um, nurses in every school. 80% of our schools don't have a full-time nurse. 
um, including my school. So we actually had an incident last week where a student broke their arm and we had no nurse on um, staff. And then of course, it's also a huge issue for students who um, need to take you know, certain um, medications or um, have diabetes or things like that. Uh, so it's a big issue. And then we also have a huge lack of counselors and the counselors we do have have an overworked caseload. Um, and then on, uh, on top of that, uh, there's charter schools coming in, which um, I love charter schools. They're amazing um, to a certain degree within LAUSD. Uh, but they're not being held up to the same standards as our public schools, so they're not getting the same funding that, or they're getting the same funding, but not being held up to the same standards as our public schools. So that is also a big issue. Um, and then, like, of course, we are asking for more in our salaries because we aren't getting paid enough to have a livable wage, per se, in um, Los Angeles. The living expenses are constantly increasing here, as many of you have seen probably in your own cities. Um, so that is also another thing is we're asking for um, an increase in our salaries. Uh, but those ones I mentioned before are really the big ones and there hasn't been any budging. We had a big rally on December 10th, which was amazing. Over 10,000 teachers turned out along with parents and students and it was really amazing. We have some really strong backings from unions from up north, particularly Oakland, California. Their union is looking on going on strike as well. So they're kind of looking to us to see what will happen. Um, and so how it works though, is there's a process of fact finding that happens at the end of all the negotiations. And that's like kind of the last step before you go on to strike. And we went through the fact finding and it's always, um, it's they choose like neutral parties basically and they go through and find the facts. And unfortunately, even with the facts brought to LEUSD, there hasn't been any budge in um, the negotiations, particularly, oh, I forgot to mention that, particularly with class sizes, that's a really big one that people are asking for because we have, um, you know, kindergarten classes with 30 plus students. Um, and as many teachers and educators lis listening will know, like, that's not okay. <laughs> like, we need class sizes that we can actually teach in. So, um, all of that to be said, it looks like we will be going on strike officially. Um, my union announced yesterday on January 10th um, and to uh, hopefully push the district to move on these issues. So I do find it funny. I moved to the district only to go on strike a year later, but you know, that's life. So we'll see what happens now. But yeah, it's a, it's a lot, but it's also, um, it's really good because it's something that has needed to happen for a few years. Like just talk, speaking with educators, educators who have been in the district for years, there's a lot of things they've neglected to improve on that really would benefit our students, not just um, our, the educators in the district, so. I, I guess the question I have is, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't heard really anything about it in the media. I haven't read much on social media other than like, I really, I follow you and, and we were talking, I follow Liz Kleinrock. So there's some people in LA mm -hmm. who I follow who have been talking about it, but I'm interested as yeah. to why you think it's not getting the coverage, but especially like the negative coverage that some of the other places that have gone on strike have gotten. Like I remember Arizona got super negative yeah. coverage. Like, the people in Detroit got negative and I'm and maybe it's just because LA and California in general are are a more liberal place but I'm I'm interested mm -hmm. to why it's not been a bigger story when it's the second biggest district in the country 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really not sure. Like I know here um, it's been covered, but not to the amount you would even think it would be covered, like just in terms of our local news. Um, the LA Times didn't even put it on the front page, which was really surprising. Like when we had our rally, we, we rallied actually right by the LA Times building and it was not the front page the next day, which, so there's a lot of um, questionable things, I guess you could say with the media coverage of like what they're choosing to cover and what they're not. Um, I could say probably maybe one of the reasons it hasn't been covered nationally is, is because it has been more of a threat versus an actual action yet. Um, I'm sure in January, it'll probably be covered more um, nationally just because we're actually then going to be striking versus just threatening to strike. Uh, but locally though, um, you know, I think a lot of it just has to do with perception. Almost every article I've read is, is like, well, they just want more money in their salaries. And it's just like, oh, that's not actually that's the not only thing. There's a lot more that we're asking for. And, and that was the one thing they did move on was our salaries. What, but that was the only thing they moved on. They were going to give us 3% retroactive in July and another 3% the following year which is fine, but that was the only thing they moved on. So it was, it, our union was just like, no, we need the class sizes reduced. We, we know you have the money to do this. You need to provide money for counselors. You need to provide money for aides. You need to actually take care of these schools and not let them just collapse um, because that's really where it's at, what's happening now. Um, but yeah, that's, it's a good question. I, sure I could like theorize a lot about it but I'm not quite and sure really and it's so hard I mean because like you said if if the optics around it are the only thing that matters is teachers wanting more money I mean mm -hmm. they're there it seems that they're satisfying the optics of what you know the public is looking for but it's so crazy to me that like we talked to Asmahan Masra, who teaches outside Detroit and like the stories they tell like there are teachers in Detroit that have to keep closets full of bottled water yeah the water is so yeah. polluted and it's just it's so crazy to me to think that like that's what gets like that that doesn't get attention and yeah. the fact that you that teachers like like you said thirty thousand teachers or you know the ten thousand people you said showed up last week mm -hmm. but they still don't understand like we're not striking because we Yes. Do teachers want more money? Yes. Do teachers deserve more money? But that's not, that's not the point. Cause you're, I mean, I, it's yeah. hard, hard enough to serve kids in perfect situations when you have everything, mm -hmm. but when you yeah. don't have those basic, like, I can't imagine like the fact that you don't have counselors like that's Yeah. Yeah. We, we were very, I want to say blessed last year because <laughs> we had a grant and with that is the only reason we had a full-time counselor last year and it was great like because I had I had kids that had um, traumatic issues happen in their life that just needed someone to talk to and I'm not a trained therapist so I can't have those conversations not to mention like where in my day will I have those conversations but uh but it's so powerful, especially um, as we were talking about earlier, um, a, a large percentage of our population, uh, our student population is, is Latinx. And of that popu large population, there's a good majority right now that um, are 
uh, refugees from uh, South America, from Honduras, El Salvador. Like I have a good chunk of my students from that area. Um, and just being aware of, you know, that they might need someone to talk to, like depending on their experience. And then also just in general, like a lot of these kids that we have, um, they're on the poverty line and that alone creates a lot of trauma. So mm -hmm. there's just a lot of, there's a lot of different factors for our student population that isn't being considered in the district and the funding isn't being given to us uh, to help us with these students that, that need uh, the counseling or the students even that might just need an aid because they have um, a behavior from that trauma that needs to be worked out over time, but they just need mm -hmm. someone there, you know? So there's just, there's just a lot of different factors that um, are playing into the strike. And that's, that's definitely a huge one is like we're really, um, we really are trying to focus on the students and as well as the teachers' stress levels because if we can have therapists, um, counselors, if we can have um, aides in the classroom, if we can have nurses, that's a huge relief from teachers then to know like, oh good, not, this child will have someone then or this um, child will be able to go and talk to someone during this time then. Because um, I know last year that helped a few of my students who were dealing with, because I, I teach fifth grade, so um, I'm not saying like that grade's special, but I do know like the hormones oh, start yeah. kicking in. Oh, yeah. So there are some hormonal things and things come up. Like I had a couple students, like they started having like some memories and stuff. And I was like, okay, we need to get you in counseling. Like you need to go talk to someone like, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'm like, you know, I'm here for you. And we had a good enough relationship to where they felt comfortable talking to me, but you know, I can't talk to them all the time. And, um, you know, they hate counselors and therapists are trained that way. They have strategies they can give them. So. Yeah, so that's just one of, I'm a big proponent of that one, but yeah, as you can tell. Yeah, and, and you were saying too that like they're not, there's very little e, ESL or ELL or mm -hmm. English as a second language yeah. services too, but I mean, I can attest too, like when I was in Houston, I taught sixth through eighth grade and, you know, a uh, high poverty area, a lot of Hispanic kids and like the counselors and the aides and all stuff, they were invaluable to that, but yeah. But you talk about just the stress that kids are going through and the value of counselors. Like the high school I taught at here in Wisconsin last year had three student mm -hmm. deaths in one school year. And wow. we were so fortunate that, you know, like we had not just, we had two high school counselors or three high school counselors and then two that came up from our middle school. But, you know, yeah. then they can bring, you know, they were bringing in, there were people coming in from all over around the area to support the kids and stuff. But I mean, we're a small high school that has about 800 kids total. You know, when yeah. you're a district of 700,000 kids, I mean, that stuff is still going on all the time. But those, I mean, I know just from my kids how much of an impact it can have on them. And I, yeah. I just find it really, I mean, it's troubling that that is what's going on. And it's even more troubling that people are trying to make it about, teach, you know, trying to make teachers out to be the bad guys that just want more money. I know. Yeah. And it's just like, like for me, I'm like, well, it's education. You should want to give more money, but that's like, you know, cause I'm an educator. So, for sure. so, so I'm interested. Do you talk, I know cause we wanted to talk about, about social justice and how you work with your kids on that, but do you, are you, have you been communicating with your kids about like the situation with teachers? Do, I mean, are they pretty aware of what's going on? Um, they are. Um, we actually have a pretty strong parent support group that's happening at our school. Um, I was actually like the day before we went on break, I talked to 
um, a couple moms, we were at the book fair and they were like, oh, let us know because we won't bring our kids here. So like they're, the parents are very supportive. They're, they're letting their kids know. I haven't gone too in depth with the kids um, per, like I'm going to when we get back um, personally because I didn't want to scare them because I, I know my kids. Um, mm -hmm. So this year, they are, I didn't want them to like freak out like, well, what about, you know, like our education, like, will you be okay? You know, like, because that's kind of the response they would have. And I just wanted them to have a nice three week break and enjoy being with their family. Um, so when we get back, though, I already had a, a unit planned in preparation for possible strike to discuss um, what a strike is and protests and um, just kind of a three-day thing because we're actually going to be back for three days and then we go to on strike the fourth day <laughs> so it'll be very quick um but um i'm gonna i'm i was already planning on spending those three days kind of on a like an in-depth uh what what does it mean to strike what is an activist kind of going to that route because um that was something we were i was leading to but i'm gonna kind of push it a little bit forward a little bit so we can have that discussion they can say any fears they have as well because I don't want it to be like hey your teacher's going on strike we're going to learn about this now you know but actually mm -hmm. give them a platform to actually discuss what are what are you afraid of what are you nervous about like is there are there any questions you have for me kind of just give them that space because um, that's one thing I think we as educators sometimes miss is like we need to give the students the space because they have so much to give and say uh, that and right. we shouldn't just be the ones talking and saying oh we're going to do this or we're going to learn this I would so our first day back, we are going to sit and have a discussion. And then from what they talk about, I will like pull resources and things and kind of create something so they can, uh, we can go into depth over it the next couple of days and we can continue that discussion. So then it's not a surprise. They have some, they have background knowledge. And then I'm hoping that I'm, some of them might even come and straight with us. We are inviting the students to come and join us and the parents. And we're, I'm at a school where, almost all of them live within walking distance right around us. So we'll mm -hmm. be saying hi to them on our strike, like, hey, how are you doing? So. So would you say that is the same approach you take when talking about social justice with your, with your students is kind of really giving them that space to, to speak about what they think and what they feel? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's really key in any, dis any discussion about it. Um, you, because to just like set it up and tell them that that's just you assuming they know something or don't know something. So allowing that space for them to have a discussion beforehand, um, chart, whatever it might be, allows you to see, okay, what's your understanding on this topic before we go into it? And, and what do you not understand? So that way I can pull, um, pull things. So uh, for example, um, we're, we're moving into learning about indigenous people, the first Americans, um, and, and we're learning about like then and now. So we're really gonna be diving into different things. I wanted to know what they understood about power though, like who holds the power, who, and all that. So actually from um, uh, Liz Kleinrock at Teach and Transform, she posted an old thing she did. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. That's how I can get, instead of a discussion, I'll do this. And we just had questions on um, posters and they each responded to the question. We just kind of did a round the circle type thing with these posters. And from those, I'm able to see, oh, okay, you think this about power, you think this about power. And a lot of them applied power to bullying. So that was a really good springboard because then I can take what they know and then add to that. 
rather than just assume that they think they know power is this because you know my I actually thought they would be writing you know uh, power is like what President Trump has or something like that um, because that's a discussion we've had before but a lot of them actually equated um, power to bullying which was really fascinating to me so that immediately told me okay let's kind of take it this way versus this way so and then and with that how does that sort of feed into what you said was really important and what we you know what we agree is really important in, in teaching kids about what identity means and also helping them to really build their own identities um it's let's see uh it's it just really um helps to well really like you start with identity i should say um it's not a matter of I build into the identity. Like we, the whole first, I would say three months was focused on their identity um, because that's such a foundation of who we are as human beings um, to, I don't want to, I didn't want to jump right into uh, diversity, action mm -hmm. and justice without them knowing who they were. Um, so we really started out with, uh, different activities at the beginning of the year, community building as well as self-building and understanding who we are um, and what we identify as. And then we moved into these types of activities of, um, you know, uh, actual social justice, discussing things, um, doing different aspects of uh, like what we're doing now with our Native American unit um, and uh, trying to think sorry my husband just came home and that was a total distraction um and uh just focusing on uh continuing to build that identity within that and then moving from identity to diversity what makes us different what makes us the same and right now we're actually moving into justice and um into uh and then eventually action which is kind of funny like that's going to be what we talk about when we come back is action um so I, I hope that answered your question. Sorry, I totally lost yeah. my train of thought no, for a second. I mean, it's just, it's so, and while you were talking, I, it, I've sort of, because I've really only started to understand and unpack this in myself, like in the last few years. Like I grew up, mm -hmm. you know, very sheltered, small town, Wisconsin, went to a small university in Minnesota, very sheltered. And then, you know, I had my experience of eight years living in Houston, but even still, it's just me trying to kind of, unpack the identity piece and it's I just think back like I don't recall yeah. ever really being anyone ever talking to me about identity or, or any of these pieces you know yeah when I was growing up so it's just I, I think it's so important that we do it but I'm it's it's so hard to wrap my head around how mm. you know like kids do this because you know like Liz is doing it with kids younger than you have Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's right. doing it with third graders. Yeah, and, and people doing it with kids even younger. And I'm just yeah. so impressed that we do it. But I mean, I think even as an adult, I, I'm, I think I'm probably still in the identity phase of trying to understand, you know, who I am and, and the things and in, in my space around me. So yeah, oh, no, for sure. Um, to, to like add on to that, I, I would say as educators, the work has to start with yourself. Like it, it really does. Like for me, I'm, I'm very similar. I grew up in a small town in Northern California um, and was very sheltered, was never, never discussed identity. The norm of course was, was white centered, you know, and you know, everything we learned in history was centered around 
white men, white males. Um, and so it was to the last like four years, I would say three, four years, like starting to learn and unpack my own identity as well is very important and, and finding out what my biases are and prejudices are and, and confronting those. And that's like, and that's a big piece is that if you're not doing it, you shouldn't expect your students to do it. Um, and that's something I tell my, like, this goes with like everything too, like with the reading, with the writing, like I tell my students, I have a journal at home, I'm writing at home. Like it's, it's, you're expecting something from them. You shall, you yourself should be expecting it from yourself to a degree. And, um, in terms of the identity piece, like I, I really had to unpack a lot with myself, read, learn, um, and listen. Like that was a huge part was just listening to um, other educators um, and specifically educators of color and learning from them and understanding their point of view because you can't change your understanding of yourself until you hear someone else's point of view. So it was really important for me the last couple of years, sounds similar to you, to yeah. Um, yeah. dive into that work and listen and learn. And, um, uh, and just reading a lot too, just finding right. articles to read, books to read, that really helps. And, and so now when I do the identity piece with my kids, it's learning their identity and then beginning to unpack their own biases. And I, I mean, like a, a, big, a big one that was a great example was just gender stereotypes that we held. Um, and just discussing that uh, after we did some identity pieces, it was really powerful for them. And we talked about why, um, like, like a girl saying that you kick like a girl or you run like a girl, is that, is that affirming an identity or is that putting an identity down? And we, we had a whole discussion about that around that. And then in the end, they came up with ways to um, affirm uh, females and a way to tell other kids to not use that language. So mm -hmm. it was a really amazing practice to see that they were kind of doing the work that I had to do myself before that. So it, it really, it definitely plays a huge role into everything to um, do the work for um, on you as an educator and then step into it, um, yeah. knowing like, okay, I'm going to learn with you guys. Here we go. <laughs> like, you know, when we had, you know, we've had some conversations and I've always asked the question, you know, like as a teacher, you know, should you be discussing this with your kids? I mean, is this something that, you know, can help build the relationship and everybody's like, yeah, you, you know, you have to be honest about what you're, who you are and what you're going through and those things. And I was in Houston a few months ago and I was just like driving through and we drove right by where I used to work. And I just was like, man, I wish I could go back now knowing what I know and having the knowledge and those things. Cause I would have approached the kids so much different. Cause I, it took me so long not to have the same expectations, not to expect mm -hmm. them to, to want the same things or to be the same things or to, to desire the same things that I did at their age or, you know, not projecting what I thought the right expectations were onto them and really trying to get to know them and, and understand their reality. I wish I could go back now and, and, and teach and, and work with the kids. I think it would have made such a difference. Yeah, no, that's definitely how I feel as well. Like just thinking back and like, oh man, I wish I had known then what I know now, but that's also kind of the beauty as an educators, we're always mm -hmm. improving and growing. Um, that's why I love this profession is you're never stagnant. You're always looking 
and or at least you should be <laughs> you're always looking right. and seeing where can you improve where can you grow um what are you not doing so well in what are you doing well in so that's like that's a wonderful thing about our profession is yeah it's really hard to be like oh man i wish i had that then but hey i have it now so what can i do to help the kids i'm teaching now or the who, who whoever i'm influencing now so so what do you think with your, I know we talked about like the power of books for, for teachers, but like with your kids, what is the impact you think you see of, of, you know, pushing reading, but especially like using reading in books to, you know, affirm identity and to talk about diversity. How, how are people using books now? Cause it seems like that's a big push right now that a lot of people are are using books more and, and talking about yeah. diverse. Um, our good buddy, Gary Gray, like every day on his Instagram is like going through the books that he's reading. So it's just, how, how are you using books with your kids now? Um, I'm, I will first, I definitely encourage like just I like first day it's like, Hey guys, library. And I have over a thousand books in my library. So it's like this big wow. thing for them. They're like, Oh my gosh. So I'm, uh, uh, they, they very much, uh, setting the stage for loving reading is my first goal for them. Uh, and then looking for books that one interests them, that's a big one, but then two are, are windows, mirrors, and, um, sliding glass doors is the term. Uh, and really, um, searching out for, uh, books that represent the students and not just like, and that they can see themselves that mirror. Um, because unfortunately in this day and age, and I know it's changing slowly, but uh, we have 73% of our books have white kids in them. And that's 73% of all children's books. And we know in our classrooms that's, that's not the case. And yet our books do not reflect that. So uh, it's really a focus of um, finding the books and also making sure the books aren't just, I mean, like for my African-American kids particularly, like not making, not having all the books be about the civil war or slavery, like finding books that just has an African-American character that's going through life so that they can mirror with and reflect in and having um, books that represent all different kinds of walks of, of life in our world. So just really filling our libraries with those types of books and knowing the interests of our kids is a huge part of that component in terms of social justice and social comprehension um, because then they can see themselves as well as see others in the world. Um, a big, big ones that I push out with my kids is like LGBTQ books because that's something they don't necessarily experience a lot in our community. So I, I do have a lot of different books like that that they read and that's a great window and sometimes even a sliding glass door for them because then, then they can um, not necessarily relate, but have empathy with those characters and connect with those characters and see what their world is like. Um, drama was, is obviously always a big one <laughs> by, uh, I'd never say her last name right by Raina Telgemeier, I think is how you say her name. Um, but she's a, like, that one's a big one because it's just a kid that comes out in the book and then the story goes on and, and that's it. It's very simple, very straightforward. Um, George is another one. Uh, I am jazz, like all these different books uh, for that community is one that um, I really, we talk about because they have questions. They're like, what does it mean to be trans? And, you know, we, so we have a discussion about that. And um, we, we actually had a discussion about, should we say that's so gay? Because <laughs> a kid said it and we were like, hmm, let's sit down and talk about that. What do you guys think? And it was a really good discussion. Uh, so just 
having those types of books. And then as, as terms of uh, using them, I, I really look for picture books. There are some phenomenal picture books out there coming out um, that really focus on different aspects of uh, social justice, of being a, a window for kids or a mirror. So I, I have tried, have not successfully done a picture book a day. We just get really busy, but I do try to do as many picture books as I can a week. That's like my goal. Um, so, uh, and they, and they love it. Like, it's great because one, we're just practicing our listening skills, but we, we have really amazing discussions from different picture books. Um, one that we read right before we went on break was Pride, which was about, um, Harvey Milk. Um, and we read, uh, trying to think of some other ones we've read like summertime which was an amazing one about when they filled up the pools uh after uh the civil um the segregation law was uh deemed unconstitutional and that they had to share pools then uh, when those pools were filled in it follows the story of an african-american boy and a and a white boy and their friendship and like what they thought during that time and that was really powerful for my students um and now I'm totally blanking, but there's so many more, like right. I've read so many. So, but there, um, so I really use picture books in terms of whole class. Uh, and then we, we did finish reading, um, uh, home of the brave, which was really powerful. Cause that's about, I don't know if you know it, but it's about an immigrant, um, boy from, or a refugee boy, I should say from Sudan and just his story of coming over. And a lot, a good chunk of my students really related to it because they, they're, um, uh, ELL students. So they were just like, oh, I, I know what he's, he's experienced. I know what he's experiencing. So that was really cool mm -hmm. for them to realize there, there's people like them learning another language in a book they can read. Right. So that was really powerful. So when you, when you say the, I, I've heard that reference before a few times, like a window, a mirror and a sliding glass door. Could you explain yeah. just kind of what those different parts are? Cause I, I mean, I think I understand it, but I would yeah, yeah. it's um. I want to say it was coined by Rudine Sims Bishop um, in the 90s. I believe she wrote the article on it. And it's become a more readily used term today. Um, what it means is that uh, kids need books of all varieties. Uh, window meaning they can look through it and see some, someone else. They can see someone else. Like you look out a window and you see, you know, someone walking by with their dog and you can create a whole story about that someone with their dog. But, you know, looking out and connecting with someone in the story outside, outside that window. Um, mirror means that they see themselves reflected in the story. Um, they may, either the character has a similar personality to, personality to them or the character um, looks like them or the character, uh, has a similar family structure like them, different things like that. And then a sliding glass door, uh, that's when they're able to open up the window per se or the door and walk through and actually join in empathy with that character. So, so they can actually really empathize and feel the struggle of that character. And I have a few very, they, they know their feelings, types of fifth graders, like, I'm not sure, I don't want to call them emotional, because I love, like, how, like, mm -hmm. strong they empathize, um, but they were reading a book that has a kid who has, who's bipolar, and, like, by the end of the book, they're just, like, crying and everything, and I'm just, like, oh my gosh, like, you're empathizing with that character, that's amazing, mm -hmm. so just, um, that's really what it's about, is, like, you step over that threshold of seeing them off in the distance through the window, 
and then, and actually find a way to empathize with them is when that sliding door effect takes place. Perfect. Perfect. Oh man, I feel like I could talk to you all night, but I definitely want to be respectful of your time and your break. So we'll, we'll start to wrap yeah. it up, but I, I feel like we'll have to for sure, maybe in a month or two, have you back on and we'll, you can update oh, us sure. on everything that's going on in LA. So yeah. a few of the questions we like to ask to wrap up. So if, mm-hmm. if you could ensure that every kid was taught one thing, what would that one thing be? Um, there's definitely, I kind of have two. <laughs> it's Perfect. empathy and a love of reading. So that's really my big two because I mean, it goes hand in hand. But uh, if a student can walk away with empathy, then they have the power to really uh, shape and change things. Uh, they have the power to be an ally and activist to understand other people's point of view. And we, we are lacking that to some degree, I think, just in our digital age. I, I don't like blaming it on generations because that doesn't make sense. Every generation right. has like the right. issue, you know what I mean? Quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just more, I think it's just more we're in a different time. We're learning different methods of communicating. So mm-hmm. that piece of empathy is very powerful. And I think if my students can walk away with that, they will help move things and change things and uh, continue to create new uh new things <laughs> so <laughs> so if if you would give advice to a teacher who's wanting to work with their students on identity what would what would be the piece of advice or where would you advise them to really start I know we talked about it a lot but you know if you're going to give like a yeah. concrete piece of advice what would it be um I would definitely say that to just start small you don't need to make it this grand thing of like, look what I'm doing, social justice. It really just starting with small conversations about identity. Um, An easy one that I uh, learned from Being the Change book uh, by Sarah K. Ahmed Ahmed, uh, was uh, that uh, I am statements. uh, It's just saying I am, and then they say what they are. So it could be I am a reader, I am female. Just starting with that in like in a morning circle, if you do a morning circle, mm-hmm. community circle, and just starting with those simple statements starts to build their identity. Um, and then if you feel comfortable, do an identity web. Um, as educators, just like we've kind of talked about before though, do one yourself first so you understand uh, the emotions that might come from it. You can understand what right. you're expecting of your students to do because identity is so, it's tied to yourself. I mean, the very word expresses who you are. So make sure that you understand what you're asking of your students when you do those identity pieces um, by doing the work yourself first. So that way uh, you can be prepared to um, handle any emotions that might come up, any anger or uh, heartfelt things that come up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just be prepared with um, that knowledge because you yourself have experienced it. Uh, but definitely start. Um, Don't sit back and wait for it to like hit you like a light bulb. Just start uh, because that's where you'll really start learning about yourself and your students. I've learned so much more about my students this year than any years past because of the identity pieces we've done and the discussions we've done that I haven't done before. So it's, it's such a strong piece to have in your curriculum, whether it's focusing on restoring or social justice or um, restorative justice circles or if you're just focusing on social emotional learning 
it fits anywhere and it really it's such a key piece I find now uh, to our classroom so I just really recommend that don't sit back and you know wait for the light bulb to hit just just try for try it jump in if you mess up that's okay come back the next day apologize and continue on and try again so I've done I've apologized many times already right. like all right guys I messed that one up let's try again I used the wrong right. language let's try this so <laughs> All right, so before we ask you the final question, um, if people want to connect with you, follow you, find you, uh, ask mm -hmm. you questions, where's the best places for them to do that? Um, I mainly am on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. I've finally feel like I've mastered like my life, basically, <laughs> like where I can be on one social media platform right. and put everything up on one. So now I'm slowly integrating Twitter. So right. you can find me on uh, at Growing with Mrs. T on both Instagram and Twitter. I'm mainly on Instagram, but I am slowly integrating Twitter because it is amazing. So, um, there's a lot of there's a great community on Twitter. Right. So <laughs> we're trying to as well. Well, we super appreciate your time and. Gosh, we're going to have to stay connected because, like I said, I could, I'm, I'm so intrigued by the situation and with the work you're doing that we definitely want to stay connected. So the final question we have before we get you out of here and you can enjoy your Christmas break now, um, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be as an educator? Oh, man, when you gave me this question, I had to really think. I was like, oh, man, what is it? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really, like, in the end, I really want uh, – my students to uh walking away walk away knowing that their voice matters um it's actually a quote we have on our stage uh is that your voice matters um to know that they can be allies activists they can be essentially be the change to coin a phrase in a way but really that they they have they have something to say they have an ability to give and that they truly do matter in this ginormous world of humanity and they can do something, even if it's the smallest thing, um, to make a difference in someone's life or in many people's lives. So really I, I want them to walk away with that knowledge and understanding of themselves that they have that power really to do something, whether, like I said, whether it be very small or really big, it's up to them, so. Awesome, well thank you so much for coming on our podcast and giving us a little time and we, we like I mean it for real like I definitely want to stay connected and, and work yeah, with you more sure. and do whatever we can to help but thank you so much for spending some time with us yeah thank you for inviting me <laughs>